Welcome to Study Buddy, meditation philosophy for the heart of your practice. This is a live online discussion of ancient yogic texts amongst meditation practitioners in the Shambhavananda yoga tradition. My name is Acharya Satyam, a resident teacher at Konalani Yoga Ashram in Hawaii, and I welcome you with love and respect. Happy Panchaganapati, everyone. Namaste. Thank you for being here. I know it's a busy time of year. Congratulations on carving out this time uh, for your practice. You know, uh, it's not automatic, especially at this time of year. So thank you. And um, I'm excited about tonight's class. Um, you know, I'm usually not excited about class, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm always excited. But tonight, I'm more excited, possibly, than normal. Because, you know, the it ties into the... Um, the holiday spirit a little bit um we even have a uh, some crossovers uh in in tonight's class uh we we have a reading from the bible as read by um in, from a zen story that's pretty cool um and we also have a way of sort of looking at uh the holidays and reminding ourselves um sort of what it is we're supposed to be searching for exactly and in this season so you know, I just wanted to start by, before we get into the quote that I'm about to bring up on the screen, um, it's easy to feel stressed around the holidays because there's so many particulars to be aware of. And the particulars are actually something that come up right away in our in our readings tonight. You know, um, I don't know about you, but there's sort of a need to get the right presence, right person, or even spend enough time with the right people during the season. And there is a lot of extra work that we have to do during the season. Uh, if you're traveling, there's an incredible amount of extra work that you have to do. But I think tonight's teachings will help remind us that the extra isn't just the, the, the things we have to do, but the extra that a season like this represents is actually trying to feel the spirit of the season during the season like that's the real extra um that we sort of should be pointing our souls towards um and tonight's teachings remind us that the fastest path to that experience that we seek whether it's this season or all seasons is actually from the classics of quieting the mind and opening the heart um and that the real spirit we're trying to connect with as always is inside of us but i think looking at this through this ancient text um, might make those sort of similar themes um glittery so i'm going to drop uh, a little bit of text up on the screen so we can read a little bit together marcella you're right next to david on, on our screen would you like to kick us off with this uh this is the 14th verse of the preface to the Vigyana Bhairava. So we are still in the preface, but I'm starting to realize this preface is the real deal. Uh, so here we are. Uh, Marcella, why don't you kick us off tonight? Okay, verse 14. The state of Bhairava is beyond the limitation of space, time, and formation. It has no space. It has no time. It has no form. It is beyond that beyond these three this state is in fact indescribable it can't be described akathya paramartata 
in reality, it can be told. It can't be told. Anta, internally, it happens. It is filled with your own ecstasy, your own ananda. It is beyond the apprehension of vikalpa, vikalpa unmukta gokara, beyond thought. That state is not the object of vikalpas. It can't be perceived by vikalpas or thoughts. You can't perceive it through the mind. Bhairavi has gone above becoming the object of the thoughts. Thank you so much. I'll give everybody just a moment, glancing through that. And let's take our time, you know, looking at this. I got to be honest, I am loving the preface to the beginning by Rava. Each one is in itself like a chapter of the Shiva Sutras. Um, and this is just an example. Um, let's just start up here. This, the state of Bhairava is beyond the limitations of space, time, and form. It has no space. It has no time. It has no form. It's beyond them. And it is indescribable. So Bhairava could be, just let's have fun with it tonight, the holiday spirit. You know, it's not localized to a certain tradition or in a certain uh, part of the globe, you know, or a certain formation of whatever, you know, icon might represent it. Um, it can be all of those things simultaneously. It's not like it's none of them. It can be all of them. But it's like it's never just that form. Even Ganesh, for example, um, Babaji said in a recent satsang, that he had an experience once where Ganesh said, you know, I don't always look like this. I don't always look like this form of Ganesh that you're used to seeing. And Baba was like, whoa, you know, that really was like, wow. And of course it is for us too. And so even within the yogic tradition, we're reminded that the experience we're seeking, the thing we're all here to figure out, is never going to be encapsulated by one form or in one place or in one time. That's just a good checkpoint for us. Next, it goes on to say, the state is indescribable. It cannot be described. Um, it cannot be told. So what am I doing right now, right? What are the texts doing talking to... If it can't be described and it can't be told, we're sort of like, well, then why does all this work? Why are we doing all this work? Uh, well, we point towards it, right? We point in a certain direction. Um, but it reminds us here, the only place that we'll ever find it is internally. And that there's a very specific characteristic of this finding of Shiva, Bhairava, our true nature, is that it feels ecstatic, that it's filled with our own bliss. And then finally, we see here that there's a very specific, there's a big portion of this stanza devoted to this concept. And uh, Lakshmanju and Jai Davis Singh both also spend a lot of time with this notion right here that Bhairava, Shiva, our true nature, um, is, is beyond the apprehension of thought forms which is sort of what all this was saying too. 
It's, it cannot be the object of a thought. It can't be perceived by thoughts. It's gone above the world of thoughts. So I wanted to take a moment to look back a little bit at Jai Davis Singh's explanation of Vikalpas, which is sort of in his preface to the preface of the Vigyana Bhairava. Um, he has a nice sort of write-up about Vikalpas that I found, you know, pretty helpful. Um, Anandama, are you available for a reading? Okay. Jaya Davis Singh. Vikalpa is a thought construct. Vikalpas are various mental counters through which people carry on the business of life. Vikalpas may refer to various things of the external world like a tree, flower, river, etc., or various images, fancies, etc., of the mind. In Vikalpa, mind sets a limit, mind sets a limit to one particular thing or idea and differentiates it from the rest. Mind constructs a particular by means of thought, which it marks of from the rest of the world or from other ideas. You must mark, have meant to say marks, marks off from, but go ahead, doing great. Differentiates it. Bacalpas yeah. are concerned with particulars. Secondly, Bacalpas are relational. For example, there is always a subject-object relationship in Bacalpas. Reality is non-relational. There is no object outside reality. Therefore, Bacalpas are unable to grasp reality. There is, however, one Sutta or pure Bacalpa, um, the thought that I am Shiva. Give you another moment with that. Thank you, Nandama. All right. So Vikalpas, uh, Dayalan talked about Vikalpas about, a, what was that, a month ago or so, a lot in his presentation, these thought constructs, thought constructs, ways that we navigate our reality. Um, up here, we see that we have to use them to navigate the business of our life, right? Um, they can refer to various things of the external world, beautiful things. It's not like they're always mundane, you know? Um, and then we get into this sort of more particular definition. How's this working? Oh, the mind is, is limiting itself to one particular thing and differentiating from the rest. So we actually see one thing by separating it from other things. And this is maybe something you've contemplated or seen in previous sutras, you know, or has come up in previous classes. I think that's pretty straightforward. Um, summarizing it here that thoughts essentially make things smaller. They're concerned with particulars. Um, and then he goes on to say, Vikalpas are relational. This is the part that really clicks it, clicked it for me and, and maybe for you. Um, there's a subject-object relationship in a Vikalpa. Uh, someone is, is, is knowing something about something that's external to them. There's a subject that knows about an object. Um, but if we really expand ourselves to say, well, reality um, is, 
if there was, this is a classic um, concept and argument, you might even say that it came up a lot in the Pratyabhigir Hadayam, Shemaraja, you know, and I think even his teacher, Vasagupta, uh, used this analogy to say that um, if, if reality is like, if there's, if there's something that's outside of reality, then it's still in Shiva. You know, that there's, there's no way to have a reality that's bigger than Shiva, that the very definition of reality or the very definition of Shiva is all that there is. And if there's something a little bit further out, well, then reality is a little bit further out. It's a little bit bigger. Um, but like the very idea is that there's nothing outside of it. So if the if the definition of a thought is it, it has to set a limit and therefore cannot encompass all things, even if it's talking about Shiva, then thoughts can never encompass reality. But there is one thought that just might. I am Shiva. So uh, we are presented right away with this idea that uh, the experience we're seeking is going to be beyond the particulars of the mind, very specifically. Uh, and so Parvati says, wow, you've really sort of established, this sounds pretty challenging. Remember, she's asking this in almost like an interview format. She's one and the same as Shiva. There is no hierarchy between the two of them. It's almost like someone has to ask the question so that the dialogue can occur. Um, and she says, well, then what is, what's the path there? If we can't use our mind or our senses, if it's in no particular place, time, or space, how do we get there? How do we proceed? Uh, to which Shiva responds, uh, Gita, would you like to read this next one? Verse 15, one can be aware of that only when one is completely free of all thought constructs, vikalpa mukta gochara. One can have an experience of that bliss in his own inmost self when one is completely rid of the ego and is established in the humahanta, that is, in the plentitude of the divine eye consciousness. That state of bharava, which is full of the bliss of non-difference from the entire universe, uh, bar, Bharatika Kara is alone, bharava or shakti of bharava. Thanks, Gita. So what's the path look like? What's the practice look like? How do we get there if we can't, you know? Like I said before, uh, and then I tried to distill this down to these these three concepts that are in here. Um, if you can calm your mind, uh, is, if you can have your mind be completely free of all thought constructs, then as the classic analogy goes, which we've you've probably heard, when the surface of the water is still, the life in the water is suddenly apparent. The fish, the coral, it's all right in front of you. So if you can still the thought waves of the mind, Bhairava, Bhairavi, Shiva, your true nature is just apparent. 
um, as we know, uh, Faith often sort of jokes about this. Like she, she says, oh, you know, my mind's never calm. I got to do practice to get my mind to be calm. And I, and I think we all sort of need to hear that because to be perfectly honest, like waiting for your mind to be calm could be a very long time. So that's why we practice. We have sadhana, tapasya, a daily practice. So that would be the second way, he says, uh, we can have an experience of that bliss uh, by ridding ourselves of the ego. And that just basically means surrendering our attachments, right? You know, the ego represents our personality, the things that we like, we don't like. Those are the precisely the things all day that are, are presented to us to surrender. And as we know, surrender doesn't mean pushing away. Uh, it means literally detaching from our attachment to those things. So by just engaging your practice, of course, this would be a path there. So even though Shiva might not be in a certain place at a certain time, certain location, et cetera, we have a very clear path to this experience. It's just not, it's not as maybe straightforward as we're used to, but it's, it's right there in front of us. Now, these are two sides of one coin, Sapasya and practice and calming your mind you know, you got to do your practice. That's the effort. But you also have to, as Babaji's been telling us, relax and be there. And this is what is the third concept, which sort of synthesizes the two. Uh, and it's said there, it says, the state of Bhairava, which is full of the bliss of non-difference from the whole universe, is alone Bhairava. Okay, one more time. The state of Bhairava is alone Bhairava, the state. So if there's no thought of Shiva that can encompass Shiva, will you ever know? And the answer is yes. You will know because you can experience it. You can experience the state of Shiva. You may not ever be able to describe it in words, as Babaji tells us. You may not be able to show someone else exactly how to get there, which isn't really the point, you know. It's more about experiencing the actual state. And what's unique here, what's in important, in my opinion, is that this isn't just like a quality of the experience. This is the defining factor of the experience. This is a, the very definition of it that it's a state of being, not a thought construct, not a attire, you know, or whatever we might want to do externally to make it appear that we're getting somewhere. It's a state of being. So this is a good reminder uh, for me in my practice that uh, what we're reaching for uh, is always going to be, uh, uh, have this effortless quality to it. Just like your state of being has an effortless quality to it right now. You know, and just feeling your state of being, no matter what it is, you know, because it might have these horizontal characteristics in any given moment. But to observe your state of being.
you can tell how that's operating at a level that is beyond the mind, how you're, you're able to access your awareness more clearly. So, um, let's take a moment to just sit, uh, like we just did, just take another moment to sit and we're going to just try to feel in the space that you're in right now. For your state of being you don't have to put words to it it's not always what we exactly want to be at any given time and that's fine and just try to notice the qualities of how you're using your awareness right now to feel your state of being it's helpful to bring your awareness down towards the heart out of the head. And it's a non-judgmental approach because judgment puts you right back into your thought constructs. Again, just try to notice just for about another 20 seconds, the quality of your effort. Sort of the how, the how that you're doing this. And now just quietly to yourself, repeat a couple of mantras. Just repeat like a few mantras with your breath. You know, the same mantra, but a few times. Notice how you repeat it from a slightly different place than maybe you normally do. Swami Muktananda says that when we repeat a mantra, like Om Namah Shivaya, for example, we should repeat it as if it were our own name, with that kind of deep familiarity. I think I feel a little bit more familiarity with the mantra from this slightly deeper space of awareness. And so we'll pause for a couple of minutes to uh, do a little free writing, um, a way of bringing our practice from the inside out while maintaining the internal connection um, and just sort of commenting on your experience of interacting with the, the, your state of being instead of your thought of being.
Just about 30 seconds left. And just finishing the thought that you're on. I'd love to, if you have a chance, underline keyword or phrase, drop something in the chat box and see, we'll see where the conversation goes. Paying attention, not to the senses. Nice. Worries melting away. Wonderful. Visceral, vibrant quality. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, these are good. Truer than the physical. Nice. Resting at ease. Welcome, Faith. We're just sharing a few keywords from our free writing session about the feeling of a state of being as compared to the, the thoughts of a practice. Resting at ease. Well, Yogita, we haven't heard from you yet tonight. Would you like to elaborate on your what you wrote, Worries Melting Away? Sort of why that, how that occurred for you. And don't forget to unmute. There you go. Well, I, I was worried about something and I was going over, over my mind. And then as I, I started um, watching the breath and doing the mantra, then I started feeling a different state and and, and it was like a a, a a stream of energy like like a, a river or something and the and the words were just being dumped into the river and um maybe another word is floating away <laughs> thank you just gonna take one breath with that I think that's such a great analogy uh, and metaphor to sort of uh, encapsulate what we're what we're trying to say. Earlier in the text, we saw Shiva cannot be defined in one particular space, location, or time, right? And so it's like this. Well, we're not going to let Shiva be crystallized into a into a particular form. A river is a river, yet it has no particular exact form at any given moment. You know, even the saying goes, you can't put your foot in the same river twice. You know, so that's such a great way of describing this. This experience, in my opinion, that the uh, dharanas and the sutras are describing is something that we, in we know on an intuitive level um, all around us. We, we work with this concept uh, all the time. You know, we, we, we see a river and it's almost like a part of its beauty is that it's moving and flowing, right? 
Um, and so, yeah, that's a, such a great way of describing, um, it seems, what the text is pointing us towards. Thanks. Hey, Bob, haven't heard from you in a few classes. You want to elaborate on paying attention, but not to the senses? Yeah, let's see. Okay, yeah, I'm unmuted. Um, so when you start to meditate or you sit down and you close your eyes, there's that time period when your mind is still showing you things or saying things to you. And then as you go deeper, the mind, uh, well, let's see, it keeps on going, but it's as if you were drifting away from that. So it's, let's say, somebody was talking to you and you got on a boat and you got on the river and you were drifting away. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. So like that, and the same thing with your vision, you know, you'll be seeing mm -hmm. things uh, when you close your eyes. Oh, let's see. I'm, you know, what was I doing before this or uh, you know, what was important to me about 20 minutes ago. And then mm -hmm. as you drift away, that's no longer in the field of vision. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you sort of bring this concept up where there is a, we have to continue to pay attention. Um, we have to find that place in us that's able to uh, be present without um, necessarily having an object, you know, for it to focus on, right? Shiva is without object, without form, without time or space. Um, so our practice is going to require that we're able to hold our focus, but without this form. And um, I really love that concept of drifting away from the the mind that's still talking you know like you're still completely there you can see that it's happening um but you're you're just simply not as affected by it yeah i feel like that's one of my favorite parts in my own practice over the years that's been growing has been the um the capacity to hold awareness without an object i'm curious do you all have a a way of engaging with that concept. Is that something that you sort of feel when you're meditating that you are maintaining your awareness sometimes without having to have it on any particular object? Does it does that mean anything to y'all? I'm curious. Yeah. Okay, cool. Is your mic working yet, Devananda? Otherwise I'll just no, maybe not. Okay. Cool. Um Marcel, I saw your hand sort of go up quickly. What's that mean to you and why is that important? Yeah, um, I feel like that kind of ties into a little bit of what I wrote in my free write too, is um, like, like just toning in on my like more physical state of being like how, like, okay, like maybe I feel like full from dinner or I feel excited that all my family's coming into town or whatever. And then like transcending that 
deeper to like there's always like no matter what's kind of going on this like deeper state the mm -hmm. real like state of being that we're talking about that is you know indescribable peaceful calm expansive and it really helps me to you know to have that object of om namah shivaya but to me, it feels like being like truly present and there doesn't need to be something there. It's like the, I don't know, almost the absence of something. It's just like a resting place and expansive, peaceful presence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. A restful place that somehow has a fullness of awareness yeah i feel like that's you know if we could bottle that up everybody you know just the idea of seeing someone fully aware and at ease it's just like you know like there's nothing more sort of that we all want than that and so the way we get there is the text was saying over here calming the mind surrendering our thoughts and and then always being open and sort of reaching not for this material practice but for a state of being um i think we have time for for one more comment i want to throw it over to konalani because i never give you guys a chance to speak up i hope that's all right um would either of you like to elaborate on your experience and what you'll do is you'll unmute i'm muting the speaker and i'm muting my mic yeah i said what I was kind of encapsulating in that short moment was like resting at ease. And it's kind of similar I think, to what Marcella is getting at of just being in this very expansive awareness without an object, because sometimes I don't use anything, especially after Bob has said, like, just try to rest in your heart. So I won't sometimes even use a mantra and I'll just try to sink in. And when I do that, it does feel like there's just this awareness that is very calm and restful and there's nothing to even focus in on. Um, all right, that's Char. She's moving to El Dorado soon. You all get to see her a lot more often. Um, and then Charlotte next to her. Um, so yeah, resting at ease in this restful place inside. I just noticed that that was sort of shared. So I wanted to bounce the the ball over there. And yeah, it's, it, there's, there's nothing, it should be noted that there's no, it's not like we're trying not to use mantra. That would be wild, but it's more like reminding ourselves of where is this taking me and trying not to lose sight of the goal. And I feel like Babaji has been reminding us of that a lot in the last year. And so the Vigyanabhairava is, is just sort of echoing all those sentiments. Right. So we're going to transition towards meditation. Um, but I, I, I can't help myself. I really, I, I came across this story in the 101 Zen stories that quoted uh, a portion of the Bible. And, um, and I just thought it was really sweet and it really spoke to me. Um, 
and uh, and it sort of has to do with this. With the, I thought it tied in really well to this concept that we're reaching for, which is do the work and then let it go. You know, for example, in the holidays, prep for the holiday dinner, and at some point, enjoy the dinner. Right? You know, do the presents and all the stuff, and then at some point, enjoy. You know, no pun intended, each other's presence. You know, um, it's just like this this concept that we have to remind ourselves. Um, and so this is the story. It's a little, it's sort of an older English kind of. Um, so I thought I would just read it because it it could be a little challenging. Unless anybody's familiar with it and wants to read it, please, by all means. No takers. All right. Okay, here we go. So um, it's called Not Far From Buddhahood. So uh, a university student asked their meditation and teacher, for some reason it says that in the beginning, have you ever read the Christian Bible? And the, the meditation teacher, the Zen master said, no, read it to me. His name was Gassan. The student opened the Bible and read from St. Matthew. Quote, here we go. And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Oh, and then it's missed it here, but Ghassan said, wow, that person sounds like they are, they're, they're close to enlightenment, you know? And then he goes on. The student continued reading, reading, ask and it shall be given you, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth, and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Gassan remarked, that is excellent. Whoever said that is not far from Buddhahood. Question, Anandama? Go ahead. Actually, I... Uh... I don't know if you guys, some of us older people might have seen Lilies of the Field, and this is where this came from, and um, and because the nuns in that in that movie were always talking about God will take care of it, like, well, where are we going to get the money? God will take care of it. Where are we going to get the wood? Do you guys remember that I saw Bob shaking his head, Lilies of the Field? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and that was, they took that mm. title of that movie, and I just thought of that because they were just very much about we're not going to worry about it it's just gonna manifest and it always did they built this church so excellent yeah that's it you know and and i've never quoted the bible in these philosophy classes before so i just thought you know with the season it's like so many traditions right now are having like their big moments at this converging time. And it's just, it's nice to just remind ourselves like how similar the path is for all of us that we're all really just seeking these fundamental concepts, which is open your heart and experience this state of being, do the work and then receive it, you know, knock on the door and then walk through the door. You know, in each of these segments, it said, do something and then receive it ask but then be given you know seek and then find so it's this effortless effort quality and it's just really fascinating to see it across different traditions because i didn't necessarily grow up with people emphasizing that 
when when I was going to church growing up, because that's what I was born into. Uh, but it was there. And, you know, of course it was there. Um, so feel free to shift around in your seat a little bit. We'll prepare for to meditate. So our state of being that we seek is not a rejection of particulars. It is an expansion beyond them, one that encompasses the uh, horizontal and then goes up, right? And as we always do, working our way in through the koshas, starting with the physical body is an, a great way of understanding these concepts. So when you find your seat, you know, finding, feeling that line that goes from wherever you're interacting with your seat, whether it's a chair or a cushion or the blocks or a floor, you find that base and then you sort of find that line that rises up from it. We have to remain alert, yet we know we also have to be relaxed. We have to do the work, but we also have to release the work. And to the mind that's like confusing but you can feel it right now you do the work of sitting upright but then you relax around that posture and if you ask for stillness It will come. You know, if that's really what you want right now, of course you'll find it. The challenge is actually turning our awareness, actually asking for stillness. And then equalizing the breath, making it steady and even. This is the effort of our breathing. But how can we merge this effort of breathing with receiving of breathing. You breathe smoothly and evenly so that you can feel 
calmer so you can feel more present. So smooth out the breath and be smoothed by the breath. the mind drifts, right? So it's it's often not that the practice isn't working, it's just that we're not doing the practice and that's okay, you just come back to it. Smooth out the breath and let the breath smooth you. Seek and ye shall find, you know, practice and you receive. If you don't feel yourself receiving, put your attention into your practice and put your attention into receiving. And allow your attention to sink down to the heart. Let the thoughts of the mind quiet. Let the fullness of your awareness sink into the pool of the heart. How do we open our heart? According to so many traditions, it's just a matter of asking, as Rudy would put it. As Rudy said, the first time you ask, it's usually from 
the mind. And the 10th time you ask, it might still be from the mind. But if you reach a little deeper each time you ask, eventually you'll ask from the heart. And when you ask from the heart, it's given. Occasionally revisit the body, this buoyant, effortless stillness, and enjoy that. Revisit the breath, smoothing you. And let yourself just notice that undercurrent of awareness at the heart, that state of being that you can experience but never describe. If your practice is coming from your head, try another way. Let yourself experiment with a path to Shiva that is not a thought.
it can sometimes be helpful as you enter these subtle states to practice the slightest smile and it almost sparks all that potential energy of the heart because as the texts say it is a feeling of ecstasy or bliss that marks the experience we seek. We don't have to make it that way, but it can be good to point ourselves in that direction. As yogis, we know that the holiday spirit is always present. But it's nice when the world points itself in that direction for a month or so. But take a moment to just sort of merge this experience with what we sort of know mentally as the holiday spirit, just to remind ourselves of what we're really reaching for. It can be pretty confusing out there, but when you do the work of meditation, you're given a glimpse that, as was remarked in the comments earlier, that's true. You're given a glimpse of truth that's beyond the mind. And so this is the spirit we're seeking. So allow yourself to revisit this space, you know, as we move through the next week and have a lot of opportunities where the horizontal world is reminding us of it. So thanks everyone for your focus and attention. Namaste very grateful for our time together it's cold in hawaii she's got the blanket on um and anyway thank you all so much for being here making this a special class um have a great panchgana pati got three more days left and we'll be back again next week to discuss this content so that'll be cool hopefully you can access it a little bit as you're going and uh anyway thank you again